The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for greeting our, each other so warmly and eagerly. Come on back if you would. And if you have a Bible or Bible app, would you please turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. I believe there are some Bibles in the back as well. If you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to a Bible. We'll be in Matthew 28. I wanted to say thank you if you had a chance to pray for our elders and wives retreat this past week. Thank you so much for praying. I believe God met us richly as we sought to care for one another and cultivate relationship together. So thank you if you had a chance to pray. God was answering your prayers. We're going to take two weeks today and next week to talk a little bit about our mission as a church and to forecast some aspects of our coming fiscal and ministry year. So I've entitled this sermon, God's Mission and Our Hope, God's Mission and Our Hope. Sharon's going to pray for us and read our passage. Pray with me. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would illuminate these, these words for us. Would you help us to see the wealth of glory that lies within this very familiar passage? And Father, we just ask that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sharon. A little disclaimer, today is going to be a bit different. It's going to be an abbreviated sermon because I want to first talk a bit about our letter that we sent out to you last Sunday and the proposed budget we sent to you. Copies of both are in the back at the information table. Next week, we'll have a members meeting, and after that meeting, we will ask for your vote as to whether you can affirm this proposed budget. But the elders thought it would be helpful if you heard directly from me a little bit on that letter. So let me talk a little bit about the content and then we'll move on from there. As we mentioned in our letter, the, our budget for the next fiscal year projects a shortfall of approximately $58,000. Now, that raises a question that some of our members have been kindly raising to us, and that is, well, what does that mean for our staff pastors? And I very much appreciate the question and the kindness behind it. The short answer is, it means that Joshua has been looking for other roles that God might possibly have for him in pastoral ministry. He and Donna have been looking with real regret because they love you, they love this church, but you need to know they've been doing so with the full support of the entire 
eldership. We believe they are being wise, faithful, and responsible, given our current situation as a church, under God's providential care and love. So let me explain. I want to walk through the six questions we raise and answer in our letter. Again, letters in the back if you want a copy and didn't get one. First, how did we get here? A little bit of background. Last November, Joshua and I both noticed and began to discuss how God was reducing the size of our membership. COVID controversies, I like to call them, and some political, some effect of the political polarization was affecting our membership. As many churches have experienced, many churches have experienced. And I think for us, maybe most of all, the high cost of living here has been impacting us with many relocating, especially a number of our young families and young single adults relocating because of the high cost of living, which we understand. So Joshua and I, last November, I believe, began to ask, what does this mean for us as a church? And of course, what's that mean for us personally? So immediately after the holidays, last January, we brought this issue to the entire eldership, and we began to consider what are, what are objective metrics for how to think about the size of pastoral staff. So we began to cry out to God together, and it was really then Steve's wisdom who said, let us make sure we have a members meeting and communicate with all of our members. And so if you recall back at the beginning of February this year, we had a members meeting in the park. We were still meeting in the park at that time. In that members meeting, we brought to you three main things and talked about three main topics. One, that we are smaller numerically, and we talked about why. And then secondly, that that would likely have some financial ramifications. And third, that it could possibly mean that we become a staff of only one pastor in the future. We wanted you to be aware of those. And then we called us to to prayer, and we had a prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting, uh, mid-February over in Del Cerro Baptist Church, if you recall that, and I, I thought that was a very encouraging time. I was so edified by how so many were able to come, and we earnestly sought God together for direction and provision and guidance, including guidance about future staffing. Well, following that prayer meeting, Joshua and I, with the agreement and approval of our dear wives, went to our fellow elders with a request. We asked them to consider if, if, if the church had to lay off one of us in the future, help us think about how that might play out. Joshua and I both felt like knowing this could simply help us to responsibly plan as we seek to provide for our own respective family. I don't think the situation that we were in at the moment there was, was helping us. We, we both felt like we were living under a bit of a cloud of uncertainty, you might say, at that point. And uncertainty is always with us from our vantage point, as we talked about last Sunday. But we both realized that some greater clarity would, would help us and serve us, that we might responsibly care for 
seek to provide for our families and serve you faithfully, church, the people we love. So Joshua and I brought this request to the other elders, and they, to be honest, reluctantly agreed to it. They only reluctantly agreed because they understood Joshua and I were asking out of a desire to provide for our families and just clarity for how to think about the future. Our fellow elders then met and made a determination that if, if only one staff pastor could be retained in the future, they felt that I should be retained. Now, you need to know about the dynamic that was happening behind the scenes, because I think it's a very, a very wonderful expression of God's grace. I mean this. The truth of the matter, the whole, I'm not making any of this up, but the, the entire truth of the matter is that Sung and I were recommending and advocating that if, if only one of us could be retained, that Joshua be retained on staff. Simultaneously, Joshua and Donna were advocating and recommending that if only one staff pastor could be retained, I'd be retained. So I think we put the fellow elder, our fellow elders in a challenging um, position. Nevertheless, we understood their thinking. And I want you to know there, there's just no rivalry here. There's no conflict. Quite the opposite trying to, to prefer each other as much as possible. And I think it's a very sweet expression of God's mercy, God's grace. I want to encourage you with that. So to be clear, our fellow elders did not communicate someone had to be laid off. They were merely complying with a request we were bringing to them, and they were complying most reluctantly. Well, then at that time, Joshua and Donna felt it would be prudent if they were looking in earnest for other possible pastoral positions. Given our situation, that's just being wise and faithful and responsible. We completely supported that desire and we completely support it now. They are acting wisely and prudently. Now, a second question this raises, does this mean Joshua and Donna want to leave Grace Church? The answer is no. They love you. They love serving here. But Joshua would like to remain in pastoral ministry long term. And we just don't know if that's going to be here. We don't know. That's why they're open to considering other potential options. Third question, then, do we want Joshua and Donna to leave? The answer is no. Joshua's a fine pastor, as you know. We deeply love him and Donna and the entire Morgan family. But we also believe Joshua is called by Jesus to serve in full-time gospel ministry. We want him to do that here, yet we want that ministry to continue somewhere. It's not here. A fourth question that's been raised is a very good one. Is it really necessary for Joshua and Donna to be looking right now? And to be honest, that's a more difficult question to answer definitively because it requires having a clear knowledge of the future. If we had a clear knowledge of all that God had planned, we could answer that definitively. Here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. 
We know that we have sufficient savings for contingencies, so no immediate changes are required. We're thankful for that. Because of those savings, the church can fully compensate both staff pastors now and for a good number of months to come. We're thankful for that. But let me shoot straight for a second. Adequately compensating two staff pastors in San Diego can't continue for us indefinitely in our current situation and circumstance. We are presently overstaffed when you consider objective metrics related to average attendance or percentage of total budget dedicated to total personnel costs. When you use yardsticks like those, we are overstaffed in ways. Now, can God change our situation? Absolutely, of course. Will he and when? I, I don't know. None of us does. That's the challenge here. And in this regard, it's, it's helpful, I think, to understand that vocational pastoral ministry is unlike other vocations when it comes to potential transitions like this. For me and Joshua, our jobs take place in our local church home where we walk out our relationship with God in Christ. That's a privilege, the privilege. We're thankful. But it also means we just can't kind of work anywhere. Finding a church that reflects one's own biblical convictions is needful. As a pastor, you're going to teach those things, represent those things, lead into those things. And also, it's our own church home and the church home for our families. So a church's doctrine and ministry philosophy and practice and general church culture sort of determine, you might say, limit in ways where we could possibly serve and minister vocationally, at least, in good conscience. So if such a move was necessary, the more time available, the better. The more time allotted to pray and seek God and see what he does. Preferable. God, God can open a suitable door in a day or not for a year or more. Again, no one knows. That's why Joshua and I requested more clarity about our potential futures from our fellow elders months ago. So the bottom line is, we believe Joshua should remain in pastoral ministry. We would like to see that. We want to see that here. But it's possible God has other plans. Question five, then, should we as elders have communicated more of this update earlier? Some of the things happening in this regard. You know, with the benefit of hindsight, I would say yes. Yes, we could have. Yes, we should have. We encourage Joshua and Donna to freely communicate with whomever they would like for their own care, personally, and they have been rightly doing so, rightly doing so, and we are glad for that. However, not knowing how this was going to play out for them personally, and with some of the uncertainties I'm describing for you, it wasn't clear for us 
what and when to communicate about all of this to everyone. And the result has been, unfortunately, a little bit of confusion and understandable consternation. And I take responsibility for that. I am sorry for that. I apologize to you for any who have felt confused because we did not present to you all of that big picture for the past number of months. I should have helped us think through further what it would have been best to communicate and when we will seek to do so. Question six, then, how can you help? I know you'd want to ask that question, so we anticipated that question. How can you help? Let me mention the four things we highlight in our letter. First, please continue to pray. Please continue to pray for wisdom and direction and more lives right here transformed by the power of Jesus. We're going to be having a corporate prayer meeting on Wednesday, September 7th, again at the Del Cerro Baptist Fellowship Hall. Please join us if you're able. On Wednesday, September 7th, we will gather there and at length cry out to God once again. We would be grateful if you could join us as we pray then and continue to pray other times too. Secondly, continue please to pursue grace-motivated generosity. This budget lays out our financial need pretty clearly, so I think I would be remiss if I didn't include this encouragement to us. Please continue to give unto our Lord, unto our Lord in light of his surpassing generosity to us. As you are aware, King Jesus lays claim to our wallets and salaries and bank accounts, and we steward all that we have on his behalf. So continue, I would ask, to invest in gospel ministry, the good news, right here, and thank you for doing so. Thank you, thank you, thank you for doing so. We are sincerely grateful to God. We try never, ever to manipulate on this topic. I'm not trying to do that now. Thank you so much for your investment unto our Lord in his purposes right here. We're very grateful. Third, please give us your input and bring to us your questions. We will have a budget Q&A time after the service today. We welcome your questions today and moving forward at any time as we navigate through these challenges together. And the fourth thing I would ask is, I would ask you to understand Joshua and Donna's desire to be open to other possible pastoral roles, other long-term doors for pastoral ministry. They love this church, but they are being wise and prudent in, in considering their options. And as an eldership, we fully support them. They're being wise. They're being responsible. They're being faithful for their part as they seek God in case he might have other good works prepared in advance for them to walk in per Ephesians 2.10. And if those are elsewhere, we want them to walk in those, though we would be so very sad. As elders, I want you to know that we are walking through these things with mutual love and care. I so appreciate those men 
and their dear wives. I can't tell you the care we have received. I can't describe for you the kind support, the love from those men and women. There, there is no strife. There is no conflict. There is a lot of love and care and support. And I just believe God is very glorified by that. I believe he's being glorified. And I'm so thankful. None of us knows how all of this will play out. But we believe our sovereign and good God is going to lead us and provide for us in all the ways we each need, friends. He's a faithful God. Been doing this a long time. He's a good father. And he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. We can most certainly trust him. I want to pause and pray for the Morgans and for us as a church, and then we will look briefly at our passage this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we lift up to you our situation, our circumstance, for you are a Father who knows our needs before we ask, but you are glorified as we bring our needs, our requests to you, and we do so right now. We ask you to lead us. We ask you to guide us. We want all the good works you have prepared in advance for Joshua, for Donna, for their family. We want all those good works to come to pass. We pray you would lead them into each and every one. We would love for those good works in the future to be here. But we ask you to lead clearly. We ask you to lead with your peace and your love every step of the way. We ask you to guard our hearts as well. Help us to look to you, hope in you, and trust you, our sovereign and good God. May even this passage help us to that end. We pray. Amen. Matthew 28. Look there with me, please. Abbreviated sermon. Matthew 28, in the words that Sharon read to us, there's one primary command, make disciples, make learners, followers of Jesus Christ. One primary command, but do so going, baptizing, and teaching. That's how this literally reads. That's the mission God gives to us. Make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching, but, but there are two massive pillars holding up that command. Two massive pillars providing faith to you and me for that mission. And today I'm going to just focus on these two pillars. We'll come back next week and look at the rest of this passage. You see, with this great undertaking King Jesus assigns to us, he also provides two guarantees, two promises. The first is this, Jesus' absolute authority. Jesus' absolute Authority. Verse 18, please. Jesus says, verse 18, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, notice that word all. It dominates these verses. It's all authority. I send you to all nations, 
Teach them to obey all, all I've commanded, and I am with you always, or all the days. It's this absoluteness that rings through these verses, beginning with Jesus' absolute authority in verse 18. Now, it's important to know, however, that Jesus has been wielding his authority throughout his earthly ministry in Matthew's gospel. For instance, Matthew chapter 7, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. God in the flesh, proclaiming the word of God, teaching with authority. Matthew 9, a paralyzed man is lowered down before Jesus, and Jesus says to that man, your sins are forgiven. The scribes scoff because that's a claim to deity. That's a claim to divinity because only God can forgive sins against God. But Jesus says that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, authority on earth to forgive sins, says to the paralyzed man, rise, take your bed, go on home. The guy does so. Authority to forgive sins. Or one more example, Matthew 10. Matthew 10, Jesus calls his 12 disciples and we read, gave them authority. He delegated some authority in that moment to those original disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits, cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. It's authority over sickness, disease, and the demonic realm. So Jesus has been exercising his divine authority throughout his earthly ministry, but now here in Matthew 28, what's different is the sphere, the sphere in which he exercises his authority. Now, as the incarnate son of God, he exercises all authority in heaven and on earth. Now he reigns as the incarnate king over the universe. As commentator D.A. Carson mentions, this is a turning point in redemptive history before you. This is a turning point in redemptive history. The Messiah's kingdom has dawned in new power. That's the significance of verse 18. The Messiah's kingdom has dawned in new power. The sphere in which King Jesus will now exercise his authority is over the entire universe. That means he has the authority to send us in this mission, and, and it means he has authority to bring it to pass through us. Matthew 16. He says those famous words, I will build my church and the gates of hell or Hades or death will not prevail against it. In other words, the church will not be extinguished. The church will live on forever. The church is eternal. Friends, if you find yourself discouraged about the state of the church in the earth, And certainly the past few years have been challenging for many, many, many churches, like I mentioned. But if you find yourself discouraged about the church of Jesus Christ in the earth, here is something to remind your soul. The one who makes that promise to build his church has 
all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, he can accomplish the mission. It's not too hard from him. He's going to get it done. It will happen. If I was the one building the church universal, you should be discouraged. If I was the one who could somehow build this church, you, you should be anxious and concerned. If building the church was dependent on you, friend, you should be concerned. But the one building his church has all authority. You have no need to be concerned. No need to be discouraged. So keep this massive pillar in place. King Jesus is forwarding his mission and building his church in the earth and in San Diego and in Southern California because he has all authority. But in light of our current situation that we just talked about, I wanted to apply this a little more personally. I recently read about Billy Graham's sister, Jean, and her husband, Leighton. Years ago, their 21-year-old son, Sandy, died during heart surgery. Author Roger Parrott recounts meeting with them sometime afterward. He said, Jean, the mother, Jean, reflecting on her son's death, declared, you have to decide. Either God is sovereign in everything or he's not at all. There's no middle ground. You have to decide God is sovereign in everything or he's not sovereign at all. There's no middle ground. That, that comment ministered to me. I don't know if you're here and maybe you're in a, a challenging situation. Some trial, some difficulty. Some uncertainties weighing on your soul this morning. Perhaps that might minister to you as well. You have to decide either God is sovereign in everything or not at all. In other words, it means that in all that pain, in all that terrible grief and sadness. None of it was random. None of it was meaningless. None of it was just a, an, an accident in a universe out of control. All of it instead overseen by a sovereign, good, God. Put, put Jesus' words from Matthew 28 into her statement now. You have to decide. Either King Jesus has absolute authority over everything, or he has no authority at all. There's no middle ground. Do you feel the, the effect of this pillar for us personally? The, the encouragement we can have here? It means our king has been exercising his authority over every COVID-related challenge we've faced. Masks or no masks, how to think about government mandates, you fill in the blank. He's been ruling over 
all of that. It means our king has been ruling over every effect of political polarization in the culture and in the church. Ruling over the challenge of being salt and light, ambassadors for Jesus in a polarized world. Means he's ruling over the cost of living in San Diego. He's not surprised where you live. King Jesus has all authority. He knows where you are. He knows what it costs. He's ruling over that too. Friends, he has all authority over the universe. We can, we must trust him. That's the first pillar he gives us, his absolute authority. There's a second one I want to highlight. Secondly, Jesus' personal presence. A second pillar that he provides with this mission, his personal presence, his, his presence spiritually in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus provides here this second pillar at the end of verse 20. Look at the end of verse 20. And behold, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, that's just not some nice platitude. That's not Matthew trying to create some hallmark ending. This intentionally echoes where Matthew began this gospel. Matthew, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is sending us a message. He's using a highlighter here. I want you to take away something. You see, in Matthew chapter 1, we read of a young woman named Mary who has a fiancé named Joseph. You've probably heard of them. Joseph was about to break things off with Mary because Mary is pregnant and has some stories she's telling about the Holy Spirit coming upon her such that she became pregnant. That's crazy talk, Mary. Who could blame Joseph for ending the engagement until an angel appears to Joseph in a dream saying in Matthew 1, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew adds, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Quote, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew chapter 1, ultimate fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy seven centuries earlier. A child is born who is Emmanuel, God with us now. Fast forward, Matthew 28. That child, that child has lived a perfect life in our place. That child has given his life as our substitute. That child has endured the justified wrath of God to save his people from their sins, as the angel said. And now that child has risen from the dead, is about to ascend back to heaven. And Emmanuel, God in the flesh, says to you and me, I and with you. That stuff in Matthew 1 about Emmanuel, God with us, it's true. I, I am with you to the end of the age. 
I'm with you spiritually by the Holy Spirit until I return physically at the end of the age. That's his promise. That's the other pillar. Do you see how Matthew, do you see how God is being very intentional to comfort us and care for us? When when you are walking through a difficulty in life, something challenging, I'm not sure there's anything worse in those moments than feeling like you're walking through it alone. Doesn't that just accentuate the pain? Either you are alone or you just feel alone. You feel like no one can relate to me. And yet here, King Jesus says, you're not alone. And you're not going to be alone. I am with you to the end of the age. Think about, think about that word always. I am with you always, or literally all the days. Or I like how one writer renders that, catch the sense. I am with you the whole of every day. That's, in a sense, what Jesus is saying. I am with you the whole of every day. The whole of every day. So Jesus is saying, even to Grace Church, Grace Church, I am with you the whole of every day through pandemic-related challenges, mask, no mask, whatever. I am with you, Grace Church, the whole of every day as you meet in a park outside for a year and a half. I am with you the whole of every day as you minister and you navigate through a politically polarized culture. I am with you the whole of every day as you bring my love to a society unaware of my love. I am with you the whole of every day when the cost of living is high and housing is hard and friends relocate. I am with you the whole of every day when when evangelism and outreach seems difficult. And I am with you the whole of every day when the budget is tight and there are staffing uncertainties. I mean, isn't the implication, isn't the implication we can derive, the Savior is not standing far off from us kind of dispassionately, uncaringly, is if, you know, keeping us at arm's length until we get our act together. No, he's with us the whole of every day in the person of the Holy Spirit. So, when his people are hurting, he cares about that. When his people have things weighing on their hearts, he's concerned about When his people feel weak or discouraged, he's there, he's present to strengthen them and help them. And he will be right there with us through every challenge we face, friends, the whole of every day. Absolute authority and personal presence. In these two pillars, Jesus is giving us a 
a theological frame, a theological frame for our mission, and I would submit, for our own lives. You know, any, any great work of art is not considered ready for viewing until it's appropriately framed. Even the, the Mona Lisa, they have appropriately framed. Any, any museum will not display some work of art unless it is rightly framed, and then it's considered ready for viewing. Jesus gives us here a frame for our mission and for your life. You must use this frame to view these things, to rightly see them. His absolute authority and personal presence. Those, those are the facts that must frame how we view our lives and mission. We must live in light of these facts, friends. Did you know, I hope this is not discouraged, did you know the chance of being killed in a plane crash is about one in 11 million. But the chance of being in a fatal car accident is far greater, about one in 5,000. So drive carefully later. About one in 5,000. But I feel a lot safer in my car driving home than I do when the airplane is coming in for a landing. Can you relate to that? The facts are the plane is a lot safer, way, way safer in a plane. I don't feel safer. I feel safer than when I'm driving my car. I must live in light of those facts. The same is true here. These are the facts. Absolute authority, personal presence. Friends, we must live in light of these realities. These are true for you and me and us. Let me give you a real-life example, and then we'll close. Acts chapter 18. You can turn there if you have a Bible. No problem if you don't turn there. Acts chapter 18. Let me close with a real-life example. Acts chapter 18. The Apostle Paul arrives in the city of Corinth. And there is hostility, there is opposition, it is difficult, and maybe, maybe the apostle was tempted to write off Corinth. I certainly would have. I'm out of here. This is harder than I expected. I don't want to deal with these people. However, the risen ascended King Jesus appears to Paul in a dream saying, verse 9, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. And do not be silent, Paul. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Now, notice this. Do not be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Go on proclaiming the good news for two reasons. Reason number one, I am with you, Jesus says. I am with you such that no one is going to attack you to harm you. That's not a blanket promise that nothing bad will ever happen to us. But it is saying nothing will touch you, Paul. Nothing will come near to you that doesn't first pass through my personal presence because I am with you. And then second reason, Jesus says, for, for I have many in this city who are my people. In other words, he's saying, I have many in this city who will yet believe the gospel, the good news. 
He can say that because he has absolute authority in heaven and on earth. That's why he can say that. He knows who's going to believe. In fact, he rules over that. He rules over the advance of the mission. So he can say, I've got more people who are going to believe. Stay there. Don't be afraid. And with that theological frame, with those facts, what does the apostle do? Verse 11. He stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. He kept pressing on despite the difficulty, despite the opposition. That's the difference God wants these facts to make for us. He's with us. He has many in San Diego who are his people. This is how this frame can help us such that we're not afraid, but go on speaking. Go on ministering the good news to each other and to those outside these walls. That we go on sharing the love of Jesus Christ, leaving the results to the king with all authority, but knowing he is with us the whole of every day. So friends, allow these facts to make a difference for you. Keep these pillars in place for faith for our mission. He has all authority, and he's with us by his spirit. Let's pray Let's pray, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper to hope in Christ all the more. And as we pray, if you are here and you've yet to believe on Jesus Christ, we are so glad you are here. I want to encourage you to hope in Jesus who lived and died and rose to take away your sins, to wash away all your guilt as you simply trust in him. I want to urge you as we pray to turn to Jesus, to cry out to him, to take away your sins. For others, I want to encourage you to take this moment to trust in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To realize your Savior reigns and he will never leave. Our great God, Thank you for these promises. Thank you for these assurances. As we take the bread and the cup, as we remember and celebrate your finished work, Lord Jesus Christ, would you seal this hope to our hearts? Would you help us even now to trust you all the more that you reign and you are with us as we speak? Grant us communion, fellowship with you by the presence of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.